although I am a pastor, I've often been very intrigued by the employment or the occupation of entrepreneurship. People who start their own businesses. I've always been intrigued by that. Almost amazed by it, somewhat attracted to it. The, the person like Steve Jobs who starts Apple and changes the way we look at technology. Or Mark Zuckerberg who started Facebook. Or Jack Dorsey with Twitter. and People who have an idea and they're willing to risk it all to go start something special that will last on from generation to generation. And oftentimes when people talk about entrepreneurship, if they're speaking about it positively, they'll say, you work half the hours, you make double the pay, and you're your own boss. Unlimited vacations, you do whatever you want. And so when people hear that, they're, they're attracted to the job, but for those of you who know entrepreneurs and those who work in business in that way, there's a tremendous grind especially in the beginning. And, and a lot of startups fail, leaving families devastated. Uh, but for those that make it in the beginning, they, they have to be faithful even when it's hard. Faithful to the core values and to the vision when there's no customers. Faithful when the anxiety and depression levels are high, when you wonder if you're going to make it. Faithful to the business, even when you have to be away from your family for much of the time in the beginning. Uh, any, anyone who makes it in business from scratch knows that there's a lot of hardships, but one must be faithful, and even in the faithfulness, they can find a reward. If we can learn anything about the cross of Christ as 21st century believers who look back on the message... It's that for our Christian discipleship, we need to be faithful to God even when times are hard. Dr. Dan Doriani, former pastor, author, and professor, he writes this. The cross, as a symbol of Christ's work and our fellowship in his sufferings, calls us to fidelity. Fidelity means like faithfulness or allegiance whatever the price. It frees us from selfish calculations of the cost and benefits of obedience. It encourages us to do what is right and trust the results to God. We're tempted to run away from God when times are hard, not run to God. We may even be tempted to indulge in sin because we think that will make things better but what we see in Scripture is that faithfulness and obedience to God is always the right choice and always worth it, even if we don't see the short-term benefit from it right away. We are in the Gospel of John. We're getting closer to the end. It's Friday. And, and, and we get to the point now in Scripture and into John's Gospel of this monumental, important scene, and that's where Christ dies. All of Scripture is important, but in some sense, all of Scripture points to this scene, this act of the Son of God dying for the people of God. Few doctrines and few teachings of the Christian faith are as important as the cross of Christ and what He accomplished there. We have minutes, not years, so we can't go through every single application of the cross. But we see that 
Jesus dies for the people of God and finishes the work he set out to do. That's what we see in this passage. And before Christ goes to the cross, he carries his cross. But before he carries his cross, the scourging happens, the, the beating. This is, this is what happens right now, is the flogging or the scourging. If you've seen The Passion of the Christ or a similar movie in which someone is portrayed as Christ and there's the, the terrible beating, the terrible suffering that happens, that happens right now when they say they took Jesus. The, before the person who was sentenced to be crucified was hung on the cross, there was a severe, severe flogging is what they call it. They were stripped, tied to a post, and beaten by Roman soldiers who were torture experts. They were beaten with a short wooden handle that had pieces of metal and lumps of lead and pieces of bone. This was so horrible that many people died before they even got to the place of their crucifixion. Those who experienced this terrible flogging were often beyond recognition. That if you saw them before they're flogging, and then you saw them afterwards, you'd be like, who is that? Because their skin was torn apart and there's blood everywhere. This, this is the suffering that Christ went through, fully God, fully man, for his people. And the text tells us, verse 17, it says, and he went out. And he went out. That seems irrelevant from face value. You might look at that and say, well, duh, I go out to the store, he went out, he was walking, he was moving. John just put that there in the narrative to describe what was going on. But, and that's true, that's a great thing to pick up on. But there's actually more going on behind the scenes. Uh, John is pointing us back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament sacrificial system for forgiveness. Yes, they looked forward to Christ, but there, there's animals and goats and bulls and lambs. And they would sacrifice the animals, and their blood would shed. And that was a means that God used to wipe away their sins. Ultimately, that pointed to Christ. And so in the Old Testament, they took animals and bulls and goats, and they went out of the camp for the sacrifices. Here, Jesus, the ultimate Lamb of God, goes out from Jerusalem to the, out of the city to be sacrificed. He went out, New Testament connects to the Old Testament animals. So this is showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And we no longer have to have bulls or goats or animals or none of that stuff. Because Christ is the ultimate Lamb of God who takes away the sins of those who believe in him. We're told that he, he carries his own cross. His own cross after being flogged, probably 30 or 40 pounds on his back. In other gospel accounts, we're told that a man named Simon of Cyrene helped Jesus carry the cross because it was too heavy. Muslims teach that once Simon and Jesus got to the Golgotha, Simon was sacrificed and crucified, not Jesus. That's heresy. That's wrong. That's not true at all. That minimizes the work of Christ. It was Christ that died. It's Christ that's God. It's through Christ that we can be forgiving. No way else. 
told that they went to this hill, this place of the skull, Aramaic, it's Golgotha. You might hear Calvary. Christ died on Calvary. Calvary is a Latin word for the word skull. That's, that's where Christ died. That's where he was crucified. Jesus carried his own cross to the place where he would die. And likewise, Christians in the 21st century, we need to carry our cross as we follow Jesus. When I was in youth group growing up in the church, I would often hear youth group leaders say, follow Jesus, decide to follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. I thought, great, where is he? I'll go follow him as soon as I find him. Where can I find him? Branson? Lake of the Ozarks, New York, Germany, where do I go? Where do I find? I I took it literally. I'm like, oh, we have to go find Jesus. He's somewhere, right? I'm in my youth. I'm a kid. Other other kids, maybe they thought the same thing. And they would say, go follow Jesus. I'm like, are we going to walk in a big line somewhere? What are we going to do? I I was very confused by that. And and it took a while for me to sink in uh, that when people say follow Jesus, they're using a metaphor. And it took a while, but eventually I got there. I'm like, oh. Follow Jesus means believe in him, trust in him, that he's God, receive him as Lord and Savior. It means read the Bible and figure out how God wants you to live and obey it. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, Using metaphorical language is something that Jesus does throughout his teachings. One of them, a popular teaching, you may have heard this, Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and, here's our phrase, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's another metaphor. We are not literally to go find some wood and put it on our back and walk around the St. Louis area and say, look at at me, I'm following Jesus. He said, take up your cross. He's using a metaphor again. And this metaphorical language about being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, carrying your cross. What Jesus means by carry your cross is self-denial. That we deny ourselves the occasional temptation to indulge in sin. And instead we, we, we consider to confessing our sins and returning from sin and believing in Jesus. That, that the promises in the word of God are better and more satisfying than anything that sin can provide. It means self-sacrifice, to give up of our energy and our spiritual gifts and our money to serve God's kingdom purposes. Selflessness, it means putting other people before you, God number one, others number two, you number three, so God's first, others. I'm, I'm looking out for the desires and the interests of other people making decisions that will, just thinking about how this will affect others. It means faithfulness. Staying faithful to the word of God, even when tempted to go a different direction. Sounds like a paradox, but but this is the way to true happiness. The way to true fulfillment is to deny ourselves, to think about others, to put God first. And in that paradox, we, we find joy, we find happiness in God. And the way to deal with our own selfishness that all of us are tempted by, the, the heart curves in on itself, is to, is to look to the cross of Christ. 
to think about his flogging, to, to consider his sacrifice for us on our behalf. The more we're, we're moved by the power of the Holy Spirit, the more we understand the sacrifice that Christ gave for us, the more we'll be willing to serve others and put others before us. Christ carried his cross to Golgotha and those who follow Jesus should be carrying our cross as we follow him wherever he leads us. So Jesus is flogged, he carries his cross, and now he's crucified. Verse 18, there they crucified him. It says that two others are there. I read that I'm thinking... There they crucified him. Four words. That's it? Like you mean to tell me like this is like a really important part of the Bible? And John, you're just going to give us four words? You're not going to explain this more? We're not going to walk through this together? He didn't have to because John's first century readers would have known what crucifixion was all about. They would have known that it was practiced by the Romans, that Thousands of people were crucified. That people experienced uh, the worst form of execution, public shame. Family and friends would watch people die. They, they would know, John's first century audience, they would have known that the criminal, the person crucified, had a difficult time breathing and that pushing off on their legs would only make things worse says that he was crucified with two others that fulfills scripture Isaiah 53:12 numbered with the transgressors we see this a lot in this passage that many of the small details in this account are actually fulfilled throughout scripture the promises predictions in the old testament and they come true in the new testament and so Pontius Pilate is the one, he's the governor of Judea, he's the one that had Jesus to be crucified, he led him up. And, and Pilate writes, or maybe he could have had someone else write on there the inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. They would put the, the, the inscription of what the person, the crime they committed, not their title, and so by putting Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, in Aramaic and Latin and Greek, trying to reach as many people as possible to sort of warn them, hey, if you do this, we'll put you on the cross too. Uh, what they're saying is that Jesus declared himself to be God, which is blasphemy. And the Old Testament law says that if you say you're God, we're going to kill you. But the reason why Jesus is innocent is because he actually is God. And the chief priests, the Jewish leaders, they were very sort of insecure about Jesus and his power and his ministry. And they said to Pilate, they said, don't write Jesus king of the Jews. Say he said, this man said I am the king of the Jews. Like he, he really wasn't the real king. He wasn't, he wasn't really God. He just said he was. That, that's really the crime. And, and Pilate says, Look, man, what, what I have written, I've written. I'm not changing it. And, and that might seem at first that Pilate is demonstrating faith in Jesus, but Pilate at this point is outraged because he was, he was manipulated and he was bullied by the crowds to 
let Jesus go. He didn't really want to, but he didn't have the courage to do the right thing. So he's feeling a lot of rage and anger, and he's trying to spite the, ch- the chief priests and the Jewish leaders. So he, Pilate is in no way any sort of model of faith. He says, what I have written, I have written. And Christ is there, crucified, around six hours before he eventually voluntarily gives himself up. Another thing that we can learn about Jesus' death and his crucifixion is that whenever you go through hard times, family, financial pressures, health concerns, Jesus can relate. He can sympathize with you. He is omniscient, means he, he's all-knowing. Well, we know that he knows. We know that he knows everything. He's God. But also, no, it gets, it gets deeper because there's, there's a heart level here. There's a heart connection where Jesus, being fully God, yes, but also fully man, would have known what it's like to be rejected by family. He would have known what it's like to have friends die, family die. He would have known what it's like to have financial difficulty, needing other people to chip in for the ministry so that he can keep going. He would have known what it's like to be betrayed by friends and family. So when you draw near to God in prayer, he can help. Yes, we already know that. And that's amazing. But he can also feel with you and sympathize with you because he's the God of comfort. He's the God who knows. In the book of Hebrews, it says that we don't have a high priest talking about Jesus who's unable to sympathize with us, but is able to sympathize in every way, yet without sin, no sin. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, 1 Peter chapter 2 but he can understand. So, so, so when we, we are tempted to wonder, God, do you know? Do you care? Do you see? Are you there? Those are questions, doubts that we all have. Instead of running too away from God, let me, let me just gently suggest that we run to him. To him in a prayer and take our sufferings and cast our burdens on him knowing that he sees and he cares and he helps. He wants to help. And sometimes we don't because we think, God, I really blew it big time. I keep struggling with this sin that nobody else knows about. I feel guilt. I feel shame. Maybe we secretly think that God is harboring resentment towards us or bitterness towards us or angry that we can't get our act together. That's why Jesus died for us, because God knew that we couldn't get our act together. This is the purpose of the cross here, that God takes all of your sins, if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus Christ, all your sins, and he goes, copy, delete. All the sins of your youth, sins now that we might be struggling with, motives, deeds, words, actions, Sins that we will commit in the future that we don't know about, but God already knows. He wipes it all clean. And not only that, for those who believe in Jesus, 
you get his righteousness. So God looks at you and says, this is my daughter, this is my son. I, I love you. There's nothing that you can say or do that's going to change this. I am 100% committed to you. I love you. I'm for you. Don't run away from me. Come to me. Don't, don't let your shame or the guilt that you feel keep you from God. You cast that upon God knowing that he knows and he wants to heal you and help you and fix your broken heart. Draw near to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and allow him to serve you by helping you. He's gentle and lowly and meek and humble and wants to serve the outcasts. Jesus is 100% for those exactly who cannot get their stuff together. That's who he died for. He didn't die for people who think they have it all together, they don't need a savior. There's nothing for you if that's what you think. He died for people who know, God, I need help, help me. Draw near to him this morning, this hour, today. And the, the Jewish leaders and Pilate and so on, they think they're in control. They think they have Jesus nailed. They, we've got him. We're going to shut him up now. These guys don't realize that they are never, ever in control of anything. And every little detail that happens in this story is in some sense ordained by God. So, so God remains in control. So we see that even Jesus' clothes is being divided up and his robe and his belt and sandals. And it was custom to give it to the Roman soldiers. Maybe they would trade it in and get some money for it. They weren't going to wear it. And it says that they casted lots to determine who would get what. Casted lots is like rolling dice. Something never, none of you have ever rolled dice before. So it's like, you know, we, Rolling dice, if you've ever done that before, maybe you have. Uh, th that was like the equivalent of casting lots. So, so they sort of dice or lots, and they're trying to figure out, okay, it lands on you. You get his shoes, you get his sandals, that kind of thing. That just seems like a stupid thing or a trite thing or just like, why give any attention to that? Here's why. Because even that little act of those four soldiers on the side over there doing that, Casting lots was actually determined by God, predicted in the Old Testament. It would have took them five minutes. And even that little scene there, God knew it was going to happen. It says here, verse 24, This was the casting of lots to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments, or clothes, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. All these little details in here, God is in control. Sovereign, which means he has power. But, but also, and this is from uh, Psalm 22, our scripture call to worship. Notice this. The first time I, read, I learned this, it blew my mind. It was predicted in Psalm 22 that the Messiah, who's Jesus, that the Christ, Jesus, would die through crucifixion. And yet, crucifixion wasn't invented yet. It wasn't until hundreds and hundreds of years later that crucifixion was even a thing. And it was predicted and it happened. Look, look at the, the hand of God throughout this whole story. There's not a single detail that his hand isn't over. Uh, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, there's not a single bird that falls to the ground without God knowing about it. So look, the Old Testament and the New Testament are 
100% accurate to the smallest detail. Zero errors whatsoever. There should never be any discovery by archaeologists or scientists or philosophers that should make the people of God nervous. Because the Bible is without error, but it's also incapable of making error. So all these little small details we see here that we just read and maybe overlook and don't see, we see God's hand over all of it. And when we look at our own lives and our own suffering and our, the little things, it's always the little things, it's always the big things we can handle, surgeries and health, and we, we know that that stuff happens and yeah, we pray and we tell people and we ask the people to pray for us, but it's the little things that bother us that we wonder, God, do you, do you see this? Do you care? Are you going to help? Are you going to fix this? Are you going to step in? I don't always know God's plans for anyone's life, let alone my own life. But we see here that he's allowing his own son. And for those of you that have kids or grandkids, you know you love your kids. You'll do anything for your kids. He's allowing his own son to feel and experience suffering and there's good that comes out of it because the good is that you and I now can have a right relationship with God. And we, we don't always know the why behind God, why he allows suffering. But we know that for those who belong to him, he works out all things for good for those who believe in him. What's the good? Don't always know. Just says that he does, so we believe in him, we trust him like a parent telling a child, just trust me, I got this, follow me. Follow me. I'm going to lead you. I've been around longer than you have. I think I know more than you. Just, just walk with me. I'm going to take you home safely. Same thing with God. Just trust him. So Jesus is on the cross. It seems like the, the opponents have won. They have, they're fools and they just have no idea that God is in control of everything. And look at what Jesus does next. He's on the cross. He's He's unbearably beaten. He's not recognized. It's hard to recognize him because there's red everywhere. Is he tan now? Is he red? We can't tell. There's blood everywhere. And his mom is there. Imagine if you're, you're a mother and you see this. And his, his mom is there. And likely at this point in the story, Joseph is dead. Likely. He's likely gone, so she's a widow, probably early 40s and 50s. People died around that time uh, pretty regularly. Uh, life expectancy now in America is like 79 for a woman, 77 for a male. People, people I mean, it didn't live that long ever until the 20th century, usually. So people were expected around this time. She, she could have had health issues. And Jesus says, woman, he's talking to his mother, he, he says, Behold your son. John, the guy who wrote the book of John. And he looks at John, he says, Behold your mother. And then the text tells us that Mary went to go appropriately live with John. Taking care of a widow. Jesus taking care of his own mother. The last hours of his life. Provision. Fifth commandment, honor your mother and father. 
Jesus setting the example of honoring his parents, honoring his mother. He's on the cross. I mean, this is the time where you would think, somebody go help Jesus. Like, somebody go do something for him. He's still serving, even in his pain. How often do we check out when we are suffering or were we in pain? And I understand stuff happens and you need to take a break and you need to take care of yourself and totally understand that. But consider at some point how you could even continue to serve even when things aren't going your way. D.L. Moody says, the measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but by how many men he serves. The world tells us that greatness is through promotions and money and how big your home is, nice car, and, and some of those things are great and they're, they're good to enjoy. We, we can enjoy those things as blessings. But, but God considers greatness as serving. And here Jesus is still serving. He serves his parents. If your parents are still around, they're elderly, you should, you should consider how you can serve them still. The fifth commandment says, honor your mother and father. It doesn't say, honor your mother and father if you think they're honorable. If you had a bad dad or a bad mom and they get older, you can feel so frustrated with them and you can just think that this is your time to abandon them or just overlook them. It's, I, I've taken care of myself. You've done enough pain to me. This becomes more difficult when you come from a non-Christian family. Uh, it takes wisdom. Sometimes parents are in different countries or different states. Maybe they have siblings there. It's not black and white. It takes wisdom, but at the very least, we should consider that how can we honor and serve our parents even as they get older? For those of you who are in that position, I hope that you're Children are looking out for you. The way that God has set this up is that parents take care of their kids when the kids are younger, and the kids take care of the parents when the parents are older. And some of you, you know, you feel like, man, once I retire, then my problems will go away. Or once the kids get out of the home, I'll be stress-free. And then there's like another thing you've got to deal with, and then another thing, and then another thing. It just, it just doesn't stop, and that's kind of how God set things up because he knows that if we don't have difficulty, we'll be like, God, we don't need you. I'll just do my own thing. It keeps us dependent on him, especially with family tensions. Certainly, this is not, this is not a black and white issue. It, it takes wisdom to know if there's been abuse and what was going on with family. But at the very least, we see Jesus serving even when he's in pain. And we should consider to do the same thing, even if your parents haven't been what you wanted them to be. As Jesus is there, he's taking care of his mom. And then he says the final words after people give him sour wine, which is probably to make the pain worse, not better. And he says, it is finished. What is finished? Well, sometimes if you listen to an athlete talk when they give a retirement speech, you know, and they say, thanks to my mom, thanks to my Lord and Savior Jesus, they might say that. Um, 
I did well. You know, I wish I would have won the MVP. I wish I would have brought home a title for the city of St. Louis. Or sometimes a professional sports team will go into a season. We see that with baseball and football and so forth. And the coach or the manager will say, yeah, we got some unfinished business this year. And they're talking about, you know, having a better season because last year it didn't go the way they wanted it to. Jesus left no unfinished business. And the business that he came to finish was completing the work of salvation by dying on the cross in our place for our sins so that the wrath of God could be satisfied so that we could have a way to escape eternal condemnation. And now believing in him grants us the right relationship with God. He finished the work. It's not our deeds. It's not our motives. It's not if we feel like it or not. If you've put your faith in Jesus, he already declares you as righteous forever. And now out of that, we go and we live faithful to God even when we are suffering. Let's pray. Lord, it's hard to be a disciple sometimes. It's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. People hurt us. We don't always want to forgive quickly. Lord, help us. Lord, you say you're gentle and lowly. You love us more than we could ever imagine. Help us to run to you in our suffering and not run from you. And help us to obey you with the strength that you provide. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.